Being able to effectively communicate data is becoming an increasingly important part of a journalist's job, so much so that news outlets are expanding their staffs to include data scientists and statisticians. And that's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me as regular panelist, John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Richard Campbell of Media, Journalism, and Film is away. Our guest today is Robert Cuff. Cuff is the head of statistics for BBC News. Before that, he worked on HIV drug trials at GlaxoSmithKline. And as head of statistics at Vive Healthcare, Cuff is a statistical ambassador for the Royal Statistical Society and was chairman of the UK Pharmaceutical Statisticians industry body, PSI, where he worked with the Science Media Center to set up a briefing service for the lay science press. His research interests deal primarily with health statistics and the general communication of statistics as a whole. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, you studied math and I believe psychology and statistics in school. You worked uh, as a statistician How did you move from that realm into the world of news, which I would imagine at times feels very different? Uh, Very different. Uh, Well, as the potted bio suggests, um, while I was still in the pharmaceutical industry, I was doing um, small bits on the side. So working with the Royal Statistical Society to do uh, stats outreach to to the lay media, um, and then working with the Science Media Centre to set up the briefing service for the science journalists. Um, so what that was was to help them deal with every medical story that comes out tends to have stats with it. And an organisation like the Science Media Centre in the in the UK, which thinks of itself as a press office for science, really, that helps brief journalists on the key parts of a story, put them in contact with the great experts. They can't put them in touch with people like David Spiegelhalter for every medical story that comes out or every story that involves stats. So we built for them a, a kind of a a cohort of volunteers, of statisticians, you know, five, eight years of experience who would know enough uh, to be able to critique most of the stuff that you see in the medical literature, but mightn't have the kind of profile that would put them in front of, of something like the Science Media Centre. So working with them, we we got a gang and, and PSI in the UK, the, the pharmacist dance body, uh, worked on that. And between those two things, I was kind of starting to get a bit of experience. And then when the job came up in the BBC, uh, it, it was a, a terrifying step, but a very exciting step to kind of to, to go from doing it in, in the spare time to uh, for a living. So what what is a typical day for you like now? Um, at the moment, it's pretty full on. Um, <laughs> I, I, let me guess, let me guess. I bet COVID <laughs> is part of it. Is it is it is that part of the game? <laughs> yeah. But in general? Uh, well, it, it really does depend. So at the moment, the average day, we might have a, you know, you might, for example, at, you know, half nine in the morning, you might have um, a release from the Office for National Statistics that would describe the overall death rates in the UK look like what the excess mortality looks like. Uh, as soon as that comes out, 9.30, the aim is to kind of get some copy out that the whole BBC can understand the main points of that story within about four to five minutes. Oh, wow. uh, so, so to get to get those the, the key bullets out. And then after that, maybe I'd have a little bit more time to kind of comb through the release in a bit more detail to put additional analyses out. Um, at the same time, I'd be working with the data scientists to pick the main charts that we'd use to describe that graphic in online, 
on the story that will describe it, on the kind of the live page. Uh, one of the ways that journalism seems to be moving is, is the use of kind of almost like a feed within a news organization, like a Twitter feed, a, a, a live page where you're putting in kind of short stories all the time. So we might throw some graphics into that quickly. Working on checking that information is all correct. And then you'd probably do a broadcast round on it about 10 o'clock. And so that would be on the on the news channel. Um, and that's kind of, you know, three questions, three answers, summarizing the stats, maybe with the graphics as well, reversioned for TV. On a good day, that's the end of it. And you can kind of get into kind of helping other people do their stories later in the day. But there would be frequently a couple of days where you'd kind of do that, rinse and repeat a couple of times where there's another release that comes out at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock Fridays in, in the UK are just really busy where we have a big study describing, you know, how many infections there are in the UK and then the scientists advising the government, they come out with their estimates of the R rate across the UK. Mm. And we'd also get kind of reports coming out from the public health bodies. So, does, I mean, there is just trying to co cover the data here is like trying to take... Um, I don't know, a, a glass of water from a fire hose. There, is, <laughs> yeah. there, is, there are just non-stop numbers, but the, the timings when you're kind of in that role of kind of facing the output that we're, you know, putting stuff out for people, the timings are, are pretty tight. And that's a very different day to when you're kind of sitting in the backseat doing more advisory work or consultancy work and helping other people with their stuff. I, I, what was that transition like for you to go from what I would assume was a much more... I would say probably maybe not relaxed if you're doing drug trials, but but a more leisurely compared to a news timeline sort of way of crunching numbers to suddenly being in this place where it sounds like within a half an hour you're you're from press release to hitting you know the air and having to sort of talk about something intelligently. How was that transition for you to go into a news environment where you were sort of expected to be able to make sense of these very very quickly? It took me a while to learn it. I say it's very different. So in you know in drug development, your deadlines are five years away. Trials take a long time to do. Uh, and, you know, those deadlines, it can be pretty painful if you need to negotiate a shift with your, with your management if a trial takes longer than you expected or something goes wrong. But deadlines on news are, well, it's not a deadline. You're on. It doesn't matter if you're ready. You're on. Right. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that concentrates the mind. And it, it did take me a while to realize that. I, I, you know, one of the first times I was helping out with the, the business desk, with a particularly, you know, a, a slightly awkward set of, of economic stats, I, I said to the to the desk editor on the day, that's great, thanks, okay, look, just give me, I'll sit down, I'll read these for 10 minutes, and then I'll tell you what is the, um, what the main points are. And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the pressure for people to get stuff out quickly, I think it's something that's, it's hard to grasp when you're not in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think some people w would legitimately ask, well, why does it have to be like that? Yeah. And it's, it's just gravity. I, I don't think there's any point in complaining that it's like that. It just is. Mm -hmm. um, so if you take an example of a, one of the releases that we would get out, you know, if it's GDP, are we, in, are we going into a recession or not or something like that? Well, if that's a story and it's a huge story, well, then, you know, in, in an organisation like the BBC, where you've got online, radio, podcasts, TV, and you've got bul you know, bulletins at one o'clock in the afternoon and six o'clock, well, you need to get the trucks rolling if it's a big story. 
you know, you need to interview the, the, the chancellor and the leader of the opposition, one, one person to say, well, this is thanks to our, you know, the glorious policies we've put in place over the last <laughs> five years. And the other one to say, well, this is a, would have been much better if it had been under us. You need to get your Vox Pops out in the street to say, well, you know, GDP doesn't mean much to me. It's still, I'm still having a tough time. You need to get all that common together. You need to pull that package together and you need to get it done, you know, in, a, in about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And of course, if it's not a story... Well, then you need to find something else to fill the half hour because no matter what, you're going to be on for half an hour at one o'clock. <laughs> so you need to make the decisions quickly. And it's not just in our setting, you know, in, in print media. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to make decisions fast. And because the newspapers are really the only barrier between the readers and everything that happened in the world yesterday. And someone has got to make a decision about what goes in and what doesn't go in. And so the volume of stuff that the editors or the people who are putting the paper together are dealing with every day is just it's it's mind-blowing and so they have to be able to make decisions very quickly on the basis of very very clear information and that's what's at a premium that sounds like a a tremendous challenge i mean i'm hearing you talk about the idea of there's this issue of clarity there's an accuracy and then there's a timeliness and isn't there some saying that you could have two of the three but you can't have all three oh i i i I challenge that i think that's the, the skill of the journalists I work with is their ability to be remarkably clear on very short order and to do it, not just to do it on a time budget, but also to do it on a budget of words. Yeah. You know, there's only so many characters you can fit in a tweet or a headline um, or in, you know, the first four paragraphs of a story, which, which is, you know, where you're kind of going to, we aim to get the bulk of this, of the story or the important things you need to take away in that, in that short amount of information. And their ability to turn that out quickly is, is, I think, really, really impressive. And you're not just doing, you're doing it slightly differently when you're doing it with numbers. But every story has caveats. Every story has nuance. Every story is complexity. Brexit is difficult. Coronavirus is difficult, not just for the numbers. Um, and journalists do that all the time. Numbers are just one part of the, of, of the world that has to be summarized. I'm looking at the key points on the BBC's editorial guidelines for reporting statistics. And there's something that sort of sticks out to me because I I teach journalism. I'm a former journalist. And so I'm constantly sort of pushing to my students like, you know, don't take anything a source tells you for uh, face value. Verification is the essence of what we do. It's great if you use a quote, but make sure there's something, you know, uh, of news value in the quote. And so one of the points you have is, is, you know, we ask for skepticism about facts and quotes, but I'm going to just quote this, avoid taking statistics at face value. Why is that the first point? And why does that seem to be something that you're trying to impress upon? I'm assuming the journalists who are using this as they're reporting. I mean, every number has a history. Every number has a story. It's come from people um, who've collected a particular set of data. And you would need to ask the same questions of any number that you would ask of any other fact. So who's told me this? Why have they told me this? Is it reasonably likely to be true? Um, what's the basis for the assertion that's being put in front of me? And things feel real with numbers. Mm-hmm. Like numbers numbers seem solid and dependable and reliable. And they can be. But they're just as open to any of the sources of uncertainty as any other thing that we hear about during the day. And it's just reminding people to to apply those kind of standard journalistic ways of thinking to every kind of information that we come across. So when you think about, about the, the way numbers are reported, I mean, it's, it's often this, this focus on, on just a, a change of an estimate. And I've, you know, in one of your, the pieces that, that, 
that we saw as part of pre preparing for this when you were talking about about migration change mm -hmm. as an example that that you have these point estimates this flux this, this fluctuation of 20,000 and whether or not that even has meaning so that there's a there's this aspect of nuance and you talked about both this the uncertainty that's associated with it but it always seems to be to me that there's this huge challenge with communicating that nuance or that uncertainty or look at how much this, this rate has changed or this percentage has changed of unemployment or whatever endpoint. But that's that may not mean anything. So how how do you how do you balance that or how do you how do you tell those stories with that nuance and uncertainty reflected? Well what 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 would you have people do? Well, I, I, I guess, oh man, turning this around, Robert. This, you know, we, we're dealing with a professional here, Rosemary. I, I, you know, I, well, How's it I, feel, I, John? I, yeah, it feels good. It feels good. Yeah, I, I guess what I would have people do is to think about whether or not it's a story worth telling. Bang on. I mean, so, so to, so to me, the, the issue is making sure that there's an appropriate, I wouldn't say filter, but caution in place to say that, that don't be uh, uh, overly enthusiastic about a point change if it's well within the scope of what you might expect, given the, the uncertainty that you see in a system. Yeah, so the guy, yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's not about, it's not, it's not about, well, sorry, it's, I didn't mean it to be a test. <laughs> no, 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 but, no, I'm, I'm having fun, Robert, this is good. He deserves but, it. <laughs> but it's, 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 I don't think it's about putting a confidence interval in every headline. No, no. It's about making a judgment that takes uh, into account all of the uncertainty in the data, and then writes the most interesting, most yes. grabby story that is true to the data and true to the uncertainty. So the guidance we I would give to our business desk on on some of the surveys, the economic surveys that come with the margin of yeah. error, yeah. is it's not wait until everything is ninety five percent certain. You know, you can't wait un, un, until that point. But there is a certain range where there's nothing going on here. Forget mm -hmm. about it. There's a certain range where you want to look at the other indicators that tell you whether or not there's a story here, whether or not this, this individual change is supported by the rest of the data or the rest of the information that you're getting from other sources or people who know the area. And then there's a range where it's just screaming obvious. <laughs> and it's adjust your language to match that level of certainty. And that's the gift that the journalists that I work with have is that they kind of, once, once you can get it into that, the levels they're able to just to write things in just very subtly different ways that communicate how strong how strongly we believe this story and there's loads of ways of communicating how big it, a number is you know is it in the headline or is it somewhere down the body of the story is it something that leads the page or leads the bulletin then it's a more important number than if it's something that's mentioned later on uh, it, does it have a chart does it have a graph because charts are realer mm-hmm you know, so there are lots of ways of communicating how certain a number is that are not, it is not just put a ribbon around it or put the confidence interval on it. There's lots of ways in which you can communicate that uncertainty. And the, the fun part of the job is getting into that point where you're, you're working with the people who are great on the words yeah. and working together to, to describe that uncertainty. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with the head of statistics at BBC News, Robert Cuff. Uh, Robert, so early on you talked about how Communicating stats clearly for a broad audience was something that you've been interested in for a long time. Why was that an interest that, that you developed? Because it's really important that people understand what's going on around them and risk risk is a key is a key part of that. Right. I mean it's it's just crucial. I mean and it's 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 great publishing a paper. Well, I mean it's fantastic if you if you provide some information that you hope will be of use to the general public and it's not much use if nobody ever reads it or understands it. 
Yeah. It just it's interesting because it seems like there's such a reluctance sometimes with researchers. And I find that with myself, too, when I get interviewed about my own work, which is not as statistically complicated, but like that reticence to want to talk about the work that you've done. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to sort of always find out like what propelled people into wanting to sort of take this on. You know, what when you've when you've looked at the, the work that you've done, what's been one of the hardest stories mm-hmm. that you've been involved with trying to tell? That was that really was was very challenging for you to to do that translation from into with, to collaborate with your your colleagues and journalists uh, journalism to to produce a story. I'm sorry to be a bit like there might be recency bias, but I just think COVID is so hard. Oh, mm. I I think it probably is more than recency bias. It's huge. There are so many different sources of data, mm. and it's so important to people because it's it's just turned the world upside down. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know about you, but I'm certainly you know, kind of looking for an answer, what comes next? Yeah. Um, and trying every day to understand that. And there was that period at the start where you're kind of almost reflexively checking at the phone every couple of hours to look at the numbers, you know, and I've probably gone through that kind of trying to avoid it now for a while. You know, everyone's been through that kind of emotional journey with the numbers and it's becoming more and more politically contested now as we move out of that first obvious hard lockdown and into these more difficult questions about what do we do now as it appears that there's kind of, we're moving in, well, we're moving into winter with a respiratory virus that kills people. Mm-hmm. What are the steps that we take that balance the two harms of the, of the damage directly done by the virus and the damage done by the things we do to stop the virus? Enormously contentious. Uh, difficult from a stats point of view, from a volume of data, from a communication point of view, trying to tie all the different sources together to make sense for people. And also difficult journalistically, because we take we take impartiality very seriously mm-hmm. at, at the BBC and want to make sure that we're doing the data right um, and doing the, the serious voices in this discussion right, even when, you know, there's a wide spectrum of views that need to be examined. There is, I don't know what the culture is like in in the UK, but there has been in the United States, certainly, a growing skepticism about scientific data and about numbers and a growing sort of distrust of of numbers. And I wonder if if that is something that you have also noticed. I mean, you've been at the BBC for three years now. If that's something that you've also noticed, and and how does that, if so, how does that sort of affect how you approach the work that you do? I think there are two ways to go around the frequently polarized discussion of facts and numbers. One is to to kind of double down on pointing out when things are wrong. And the other is to double down on doing stuff right. To, you know, to put a lot of effort into not just communicating the numbers really well, but thinking very creatively about how do you do it in ways that you didn't have to before. Mm-hmm. Because the debate, some of the debate that's very polarised, it goes on on social media, and it's not just, you know, Twitter or Facebook, which is for old people, but it's on WhatsApp groups, um, and it's on TikTok. And so putting a lot of effort into communicating in a way that works on, on those media. Now, I'm lucky that I work in, frankly, a huge media organisation that's able to do both of those. So Reality Check is one of the very you know, big parts of the BBC brand and it played a big role during the election in 2019. 
you know, spending a lot of time uh, fact-checking the leaders' debates, fact-checking all this, the press releases that were coming out from the parties during the election, and spends a lot of time checking those things and, and, and trying to, to, to call rubbish out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we also have a pretty... We, I think we do a pretty good job of, of, of thinking creatively about how do you get the good stuff to as many people as possible and how do you think about new ways to tell that story well. Mm-hmm. Th- can you give us a, an example or two of some of the new ways that you're pretty excited about in terms of communicating this type of information? Well, one of the ways that we have enormous possibility to make data and to make facts grabby now um, is with the interactivity that our phones give us. So like a postcode lookup is just so powerful mm-hmm. because it's not a story about the country or 60 million people or 350 million people. It's a story about me, where I mm-hmm. live. And so your, our ability to personalize stories because we have so much more data available to us now is enormously powerful. And the data journalists in the BBC work very closely with them. I've done a lot of work uh, on fun things like which Olympic athlete is the closest body match to you? Um, um, down to, you know, whether house prices have risen after adjusting for inflation, where you live, okay. uh, or, you know, all the stuff on, on COVID, where people are at the moment, um, a personal calculator on the risk of crime, where you are. So, you know, way, ways of making stories personal to people is an enormously powerful way of, of helping you tell stories and get facts into people's lives. Uh, and the phones are a good way of doing it. And of course, there's a real skill to doing it because then these are only things I've been picking up from the people who understand it far better than I do. You, you know, you do it portrait, you don't do it landscape anymore. Hmm. Because yeah. when, I don't know, when, when you're on the bus on the way into work, you're not holding your phone sideways. You're holding it straight up. Exactly, you're scrolling with your thumb. Uh, you know, you need to put subtitles on it if it's video because you're probably listening to something else, a podcast or a, like this podcast, obviously. Or, you know... <laughs> only if you have really good taste. That's only if you really good taste, yeah. Or, 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 or some, actually any taste. No. <laughs> or, or some music. So, you know, you don't rely on, the, on the, the audio track in your video to tell the story. Um, if you're doing a lookup, the kind of interactive lookup that I'm talking about, you mean, do you want people filling in 20 things? Because mm. they won't. No. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a really cool idea. That, that this idea of this of, of the personalized relevance of of pieces of news. I mean, I, th- I think that's that's exciting when I think of it in the context of of, uh, of location or sort of geographic index or kind of other components. It's a little bit horrifying if I think in terms of of the echo chamber of of mm-hmm. hearing hearing certain news stories that might be customized to a certain particular belief. You know, I. I just in terms of filtering, filtering news for a certain perspective, I think that that's not what, that's kind of the pathological extreme when I when I think about this kind of customization or personalization of news. Many of us, I think, many of us end up uh, customizing our news source now. It's something that people are doing anyway, mm-hmm. um, and there's, I think there's, you know, news news organizations are working very hard on how to strike the right balance between putting the important stories in front of people, and putting the stories that people will choose for themselves um, and it's a yeah it's a it's a complicated technically and edit, edit, it's a complicated thing to do technically and editorially what advice would you have Robert for a journalist who wants to you know be able to report on their community well and use data to do it I, I you know I'm, I'm in a journalism program we send our students to the stats department to take a stats class but I'm sure there are things we could be doing to better prepare our students what should what should a journalist be looking at or thinking about when they want to be using data in their stories thing one numbers of free stories 
They're free stories that your peers and competitors aren't finding because they're more scared of numbers than you are. <laughs> and you, need, you don't need very many skills to be able to get great stuff. If you can open a spreadsheet and you can sort it and maybe add, add up, you will be able to find stories that other people aren't getting. And I am amazed by, you know, the journalists who really do that and really kind of hone that skill. Um, and it's not super technical. It's not necessarily coding. Of course, there's a great, fascinating world in there. But with the publicly available data that's out there now, you can really find interesting stories reasonably easy once you get up to a a, a pretty basic level on, on Excel. You don't need to be um, you know, a, a spreadsheet guru. You just need to be fairly spreadsheet confident and have a good nose for a story, mm -hmm. and then you're away. I like that. Fairly spreadsheet confident. I like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd, well, I have to ask the complimentary question to this. So, uh, so help, help me prepare my, my stat students for this few, f to work in this world, to help with collaborating with journalists I you know that's it's been one of the great delights of my of my professional career to interact with my colleagues like Rosemary but I'm, I'm wondering how do I help my students students start to to get ready to to do this kind of work to be able to think about the challenges that you said such as you know working with these very tight time constraints and being able to to, to respond quickly to, to needs and write well and write concisely what are some things that we that that I can do to help my students get ready for that well, the first thing is just to write, yeah. is to write lots. You know, that's the best practice. Um, I think to, so there is a different series of things. If you want to build up your expertise on your own, or if you want to take your steps into, into the world of working directly with the media, building up your expertise, get yourself in the mindset of news is something that you would shout up the stairs to your mum. You know, that's, that's a news story. And now there are things that I want to talk about but that doesn't mean they're news. Mm -hmm. And if I'm writing, you know, if, if my research is interesting, it might be interesting to a niche audience, but how, how grabby is it really? And do that, you can do that self-filtering. But that's also a very useful way of thinking about when you do have something that, that's that interesting, when you're thinking about all the subtleties and the caveats and the, 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 the nuances and the complexities in the data. Because it boils down to, what are the caveats? Do they change what the headline is? that thing that I would shout up the stairs. Can I even run the story? Are the caveats so important that I can't run the story? Mm -hmm. And how prominently do I need to mention them? You know, do I, do I men, you know, are they the kind of things that I need to put like in the first three things that I talk about here? Or can they go down the bottom? And if they can go down the bottom, you, you might need to talk about them or emphasize them as strongly. So being very clear about the most important things that you've got to say. Um, statisticians, I think in particular, maybe professionally trained to write because of this, therefore I can say that, and having demonstrated all of these things, I can conclude. And that is the inverse of the way um, I think that you would want to write if you're aiming for a lay audience. You need to kind of like, why do I care first? So focusing on those things, and then you can, and then you can do the baby steps of like working directly with the media. I would say, do it with someone like the Science Media Centre, because they, you know, do it with somebody who already knows lots of journalists. Is that is that fair, Rosemary? You don't want to kind of like go out on your own. Yeah, no, you I want, think... You want to work with somebody who knows the good ones and the bad ones and uh, yeah. who can translate your first attempts. Yeah, yes, because I think, you know, again, as a, as a former journalist and now on the other side, I'm very careful of who I talk to. Uh, and I definitely 
ask around before I talk to anybody. So yeah, going with people you can trust, I think is super helpful. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Robert, thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you so much, Robert. Pleasure. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.